Everyone struggles with fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, or some emotional issue. But what if I told you that you could exchange that life for one of victory? Are you interested? My name is Mark McKinn, and I'm joined with Dr. John Woodward. And together, we want to guide you into a complete and victorious identity in Christ. Our desire is for everyone to know Christ as Savior, Lord, and life, so that you can live victoriously, disciple strategically, and counsel effectively. Welcome to Glimpses of Grace. Well, welcome to Glimpses of Grace, episode number 21. Welcome to all of you who are listening, whether you're here in East Tennessee, maybe we could say howdy, or to all of you who are listening all over the world. We are so excited that you have decided to join us yet once again. And Dr. John, a good day to you, sir. How are you? Fine, Mark. Glad we could continue this series and get into some of the tools that we use here in our discipleship and counseling. So today we are going to jump in and start a dialogue, a conversation on one of the diagrams that we use in both our counseling and life coaching, and that is what we call the wheel diagram. And uh, so if you have our app, this would be a good time to open it up. You can find the wheel diagram, and maybe as you're listening, you would uh, follow along, and you can see what we're talking about and uh, hopefully learn a little bit. And for those of you who have been this uh, through this before, just a refresher course and maybe some additional tools that you can use while you're sharing this with other people. Amen. John, you have a word for us today. Well, how about if we start out with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, because we're going to be talking about the spiritual, psychological, and physical aspects of how God made us. And here we read, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we believe, Mark, that the scriptures are where we need to look to understand that we are not just a physical creature, and we're not just a psychological being, but we have the spiritual, psychological, and physical dimensions. And so we're going to be looking at various scriptures that teach this, and also we see that this is the Word of God shows us the thoughts and intents of our heart, the seed of our affections and motivations and in counseling and discipleship, we really need the Holy Spirit to show us what's going on at that heart level. So you might say that we're spiritual cardiologists. Mm. And just as a cardi- cardiologist would need to understand anatomy and how the heart and the circulatory system works, we believe that understanding the aspects of how God made us, spirit, soul, and body, help us understand the thoughts and intents of this uh, core aspect of how God made us. Right, and First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Dr. Solomon would say this, Man is a spirit, he has a soul, and lives in a body. And Mark, we would agree that plants have physical life. And as we look across the street here in Bishop Forest, Tennessee, we see some beautiful trees. We see the Smoky Mountains filled with all kinds of of, of plants. And uh, that would be obviously physical life. But then, friends, you might have a dog or a cat, and you know that they have a mind, will, and emotions. Um, so animals, um, we could say, have a, a soul. 
But only human beings have this human spirit. And Mark, we see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, where we read that God took from the soil and then he breathed into that dust and man became a living being. And there we have the three elements. The dust would represent the material part. God's breath would be the spirit. Mm. And then man becomes a living soul. And as the scriptures unfold from Genesis to Revelation, the clarity of how God made us becomes more and more distinct and more meaningful. And the reason that we're bringing this up is we talked about at the beginning that we want to walk through uh, a diagram that we use in coaching and in counseling called the wheel diagram. And in that wheel, for those of you that may not have the app, if I could just sort of help you to picture it, if you can picture a circle And then in the circle, maybe put a little bitty circle and then a peace sign on top of that. So you're kind of breaking down this circle into three parts of which we would call the spirit, the soul, and the body. So talk a little bit about those, Dr. John. Let's also, um, as we begin this conversation, say that our Lord used illustrations all the time, didn't he, Mark? Mm -hmm. Uh, Parables from nature and illustrations are physical stories that convey spiritual truths. So a diagram is kind of like that, isn't it? And our mentor, Charles Solomon, was uh, an engineer. So engineers often use diagrams to understand and illustrate processes of how things work, whether it be airplanes like Chuck worked on or automobiles or something else. And so there are benefits to have diagrams to illustrate these ways that were made. We certainly are not reducing the complexity of how God made us to just these rudimentary things, but mm-hmm. it's a really helpful tool. Speaking of tools, Mark, you know when you're around the house and you need to uh, accomplish something, it helps to have the right tool, doesn't it? Right. Have you ever uh, had a screw you needed to tighten and you can't find a screwdriver, so you try a dime? It just doesn't work as well. <laughs> or if you need uh, if you need nail clippers, you know, garden hedge trimmers just don't work, yeah, right? You, you might cut something else <laughs> off. So we need the right tool for the right procedure. And we've noticed over the years that understanding these tools and using them, God uses them in wonderful ways. So I'm really glad we could take some time for listeners who would like to go to uh, the app, as you mentioned, Mark, or if they have a copy of Handbook to Happiness, or even if they go to our website, elcmatters.org, That's one of our sites to equip disciplers, elcmatters.org. You'll see the diagrams there as well. So we're looking at this pie-shaped diagram, letting it be a a vehicle to talk about the physical, the psychological, and the spiritual aspects of a person. So Mark, as you have gone through the training and moved into your position at Grace Fellowship, how have you found using the wheel diagram beneficial? I think as you mentioned, you know, having a tool is very important, but I think it's also important to be reminded, you know, some people really hear and understand audibly. They're they're listening to a sermon and boom, they get it, right? Or they're in a classroom and they get it. For a lot of people like me, I'm a visual learner. So you can speak to me and and I, I might get it, I might not, I might, you know, retain it, I might not. But if I see something that's profound, I can remember that a whole lot easier. And so that's why I love these tools that we have, whether it's the wheel diagram, the line diagram, a lot of diagrams that we have. And you're right, those came because Dr. Solomon was an engineer. 
But for those of us that are visual learners, this is a really good tool to use alongside of Scripture, right? It's not replacing Scripture, but it's full of Scripture. So basically, it's just a, it's a tool that we have, a diagram, a drawing full of the Scriptures of helping people put this together. And, you know, for me, I think it was really good to see that there is a part of me, right, when we talk about the Spirit that relates to God, then there's a part of me, the the soul, that relates to others. And that's where my mind and my will and uh, my emotion is. And then there's also my body, right? There's my, there's my earth suit. And, you know, a couple of episodes back when we were talking about the body, the soul, the spirit, you know, this diagram really helped me to see, ah, so my spirit was redeemed when I was born again. But some of these issues that I'm having, my emotional issues, I guess maybe you could say, that's happening in my soul. So therefore, I can say, oh, this isn't a faith issue, right? I mean, I can see where my faith, I'm, I'm redeemed in my spirit. This issue that's in my soul, now it's affecting me spiritually, and it's also affecting me um, you know, in my body, and, and we'll talk about that. But those things were just really uh, important when, and really stood out to me when I first started looking at these diagrams. And so we see through the wheel diagram that we have the spiritual aspect, the psychological aspect, the physical aspect, as you mentioned. Um, but we're not minimizing that we're, we're holistic in our emphasis. So God has created us as a unified being. And often we think about the parallel between God's nature and God creating us in His image. We see that God is one God, and yet He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He made us in His image. We are one in our personhood. But we have two divisible aspects, the material and the immaterial. For example, when a person dies, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our soul and spirit leaves our physical body. So there's two divisible parts. But as we looked at the passage you read, Mark, from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we see that there's three distinguishable aspects of us. May God sanctify you spirit, soul, and body, 1 mm-hmm. Thessalonians 5.23. And so the diagram is a really useful tool to convey what the Bible teaches about that. And as we coach and counsel folks, Mark, isn't it encouraging to see how when we use this tool, kind of the lights come on where people Mm -hmm. understand they're functioning better. And that's a big step toward them resolving the conflicts that often bring them to counseling or coaching. It's one of the things that I love most about what we do at Grace Fellowship. Our ministry has these tools and we can help you spiritually. We can help you emotionally, but we now can also help you physically. We were talking just a couple of hours ago that uh, I just got done taking my uh, nutrition test to become a nutritionist. Congratulations. Thank you. Hopefully I passed it. Uh, But we really wanted to be able to help people in all ways and and not necessarily in this, hey, uh, Mark's a personal trainer. I need to lose 10 pounds to go to the beach. That's not what it's about for us, but that the people that we're counseling and coaching who are going to see, and, and in, in the next few episodes, we're going to dive into all three of these, you know, in more detail. But I think it's important because, like, for me, you know, John, my story was some of my emotional issues was causing me to overeat physically. And so when I came here and really started to see how all of my burnout and all of my issues was affecting me spiritually, that was kind of easy to see, but I still didn't know how to overcome it because I was still in this performance-based mentality. And then I saw, oh, you know, this is why I'm struggling with fear. Okay, that makes sense. 
But even when those two things really came into focus and I really began to get healing, I was still left with this physical part, and that was, you know, God of comfort for me had become a cheeseburger. And so, you know, like some of the glimpses of grace that you hear people are like, they can't sleep. I could sleep. That wasn't my problem. My problem was having two hands full of food, slamming it down my throat because that's what brought me comfort. And so years of that also added about 70 pounds to my frame. You know, that's one of the things I love about this is that we're looking at all of those and how many great stories that we have of people who, you know, spiritually get healthy and then they emotionally get healthy, but then, you know, they no longer have insomnia or they no longer just run to sleep. And so I love how our ministry is helping people in all three facets of life. And those three facets also remind us that that um, caregivers might specialize in one of these three aspects. A medical doctor uh, would focus on the physical body. Uh, a psychiatrist technically is a medical doctor with special training in using medicines to affect the brain chemistry in such a way that hopefully mental and emotional problems will be resolved. If I can just oversimplify that comment about psychiatry, most professional counseling is really psychologically oriented, isn't it? And remember, we're talking about the soul, and the Greek word for soul is suke, so psychology, the study of the soul. Um, there are a couple hundred different methodologies of counseling, but there are a variety of either cognitive therapy, which focuses on how people think, mm-hmm. or um, reality therapy would focus more on people being responsible in their actions. Gestalt therapy would focus on how people feel, and then you've got The combinations, the common one being cognitive behavioral, where the counselor or the psychologist would focus on how people think and how they behave. But even though that there would be valuable insights about how we function, that we can learn from, legitimate, observable psychology, we see that apart from what God's Word says about the spiritual aspect of man, we're not going to really understand the root issues of what causes psychological and psychosomatic problems. And so we believe it's so important to bring in the spiritual dimension, and that's illustrated effectively in the wheel diagram, isn't it? It is. And, you know, in that spirit side of the wheel, we talk about how, you know, as people, as children of God, we have the capacity to discern spiritual truth. We have the ability to discern right and wrong. And this beautiful fact and privilege, really, that we are designed to be in a relationship with God. We heck, we can have fellowship with God. So, Dr. John, if I was sitting down and you were about to walk me through this diagram, before we really get into the details of, of each of these, what is something that you would say to me to kind of intro me in more than what we've already covered? Well, we could also say that through the body we relate to our environment, whether it's a cheeseburger or, or a pillow. Um, through the soul, that's the seat of our personality, and through our soul we relate to others through our mind and will and emotions. And through our spirit we relate to God. In Romans we read that God's spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So when you and I pray, that's really a spiritual emphasis there. And Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit enables us to pray effectively because in terms of our natural self, we don't really have the awareness of effective, meaningful prayer, but the Holy Spirit ministering with our spirit enables us to pray. So Mark, that would be one of the comments we would make is how 
the body, soul, and spirit are aspects of how we relate mm. to our environment, to others, and to the Lord. That's true, because you could have a physical problem that would then create a negative effect on your emotional state. I remember having a soldier previously, we were walking through some PTSD, but as he saw the diagram, he really looked at it a different way that I'd never taken it before, and that was when he was deployed, you only do two things. You go out on deployment or you work out outside of eating and sleeping. And so, you know, in his mind, he was like, when I was in Iraq, I looked great. But now that I'm back here, I've put on 20 pounds. And so that just that little small thing in his body was really messing with his emotional health. Like He was feeling inferior, even though his wife was saying, that's not what I see. That's not what I believe. He, he couldn't believe her because he himself didn't believe it. But then also, you, you could have these psychological problems, and they affect our spiritual life, you know, our walk with God. And then unfortunately, a lot of times, right, we've gone to a person of God, and they've just told us, well, you know, your problem is faith, and you just need to read more and pray more. And then, let's be honest, because we deal with a lot of people who've been told that, and they have read more and prayed more, and then they come to us more depressed or more anxious because it's not just a spiritual problem. It's a, it's a soul problem. It's an emotional problem. I think that's important for us to discuss. But also, John, tell us a little bit about how we were originally designed. So what we're dealing with today is not really the original design that we were created. How, how do you look at that? It's really helpful, Mark, to think about how God designed Adam and Eve originally and then what happened at the fall. And so if you think about this um, wheel diagram with these three different areas, we see that spiritually they had unhindered fellowship with God. Genesis 2 gives us that beautiful picture of Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. And God designed us where our spirit would be in fellowship with him, and our spirit would govern our soul, and our soul would govern our body. In other words, our fellowship with God his truth would govern how we think. His presence and peace would, would govern our emotions. Uh, his love would guide our will and our choices. And, and Adam and Eve wouldn't even have been very aware of mm. the three dimensions we're talking about because they were so integrated and they were, they were naturally spiritual. Yeah. But God gives the warning, as you recall, in Genesis chapter 2 about this nature of a covenant relationship with God. And God did not create Adam to be a robot. Love needs to be freely expressed and freely chosen. So there was this probation of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that represented the option of independent spiritual existence. In other words, in terms of the tree of knowledge, it represented an option of independent spiritual knowledge. Knowledge of good and evil, independent ethics. I choose for myself what is right and wrong. And Satan tempted Eve, you will be like God. So the temptation for independence from communion with God and to be self-sufficient. And so Eve was deceived. She sinned. Adam broke that covenant by eating the forbidden fruit. And God warned Adam that if that would happen that very day, mm -hmm. what would occur? Yeah, they were going to die. That very day, they would die. Now, they didn't die physically that day, did they? Mm -mm. And we still see them functioning in terms of mind, will, and emotions but spiritually, they died that very day. Right. And so Ephesians chapter 2 gives us that teaching that we were born dead in trespasses and sins, 
because we inherited that fallen state from Adam and Eve. So this is a very important aspect to consider, Mark, that we were designed to be spiritually oriented in terms of our fellowship with God, with our spirit governing our soul, our soul expressing life through our body on unhindered in a unfallen world where the environment would be in harmony with God and that we would be um, his vice regents uh, having dominion over the earth. But when Adam and Eve fell and were condemned and spiritually died, we see that there were cosmic consequences to that, right? Right. So they died spiritually. We see blame shifting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, God closed them with animal skins, which implies the shedding of blood. There is the first prediction of the gospel that the seed of the woman would come and defeat the serpent. So the gospel is mentioned there in Genesis 3.15, but they are expelled from Eden, and you and I are born in Adam's lineage. And because of that, you and I are set up for huge disappointments, right, Mark? Yeah. Spiritually, psychologically, physically. And that sets the stage for the discipleship and counseling we do to put in context the personal struggles people have with the spiritual, psychological, physical, and social dimensions of their their functioning. Right, because... When Adam and Eve are created, right, with an innocent spirit, of course, that's playing into this, you know, I guess, perfect personality that they would have had with one another, the intimacy that they had with God. And then once they sin, from now on, that's our, you know, go-to as well. I got to fix this. Just like Adam and Eve tried to sew fig leaves together, which was insufficient, and as you said, God had to shed blood in order to cover them adequately. There's always the shedding of blood, it's what the writer of Hebrews says, for the remission of sins. But you and I now, as we are brought into this world, we're not brought in with an innocent spirit, we're brought in with an unregenerate spirit. And until we are born again, we have a lot of issues, right? I mean, we're dead in sin, we're enemies to God, we're alienated from God. And so you're right. We and and that then messes with our relationships that we have with others. We say we love people, but think about it, you're really not able to really truly love people until you're born again and the love of God is in you. You can take that in in so many ways. And so yeah, you know, it's it's really important as we as we look at this to really understand how we were created and then the need to be born again. Let's unpack that a bit further Mark in terms of the contrast of before the fall and after. When we ask the question, what were the ultimate needs that humankind would have created in God's image? We could list some such as we all have a need for love and acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. We have a need for significance and security. We have a need for belonging. And before the fall, God had provided total fulfillment for Adam and Eve. There there was total love and acceptance in their relationship with God and each other. Um, there was significance. They had dominion. There was security in terms of the, the garden that God placed them in and and their favor with the Lord, there was belonging. But after the fall, those needs became a quest. They became desperate desires that we seek to fulfill. And as we think about our own journey, whether our listeners have had um, experience in their family growing up in terms of 
with their, their parents where they did not have much meaningful love and acceptance. We call that rejection. Mm-hmm. Whether that rejection has been really obvious and painful or maybe they've had good circumstances. But all of us can say, I have been disappointed, right? Right. And those disappointments, those areas of unfulfillment really become a quest for us to try to get our needs met independently of God. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately leads to uh, disappointment, all kinds of sinful and dysfunctional actions and behaviors, doesn't it? It does. And that brings up, you know, when I was asking everybody to sort of visualize this wheel, I said, if you have a you know large circle, small circle in the middle, and then sort of put the peace sign on top of that. So that little bitty circle, we would say is the center of a person, right? What's in the center of that circle is very, very important. Because I say to people in coaching, that's the lens by which you're viewing every single aspect of life. And there's really only one of two things that can be in there. Christ, which is where we're wanting to get people to. But for a lot of people, it's S. And that's not S for Superman. That's S for flesh. It's S for self-life, which really is that quest of how I'm going to get my needs met. And so for a lot of people, that S is, it's anything outside of Christ. It can be a hobby. It can be success. It can be failure, I guess. It could be a person. I mean, it's a lot of different things. So I know we're going to dive into these a little bit more next episode, but how do you define that, that little small circle, the S? How do you speak to people regarding that? Well, we're talking about the circle diagram as a wheel. We usually call it the wheel diagram, and a wheel has a hub, and uh, the spokes you know, are based on that hub. So we would say that the center of the circle would represent the psychological heart of a person. Our initial verse in our broadcast, Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God shows us the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that innermost circle that you described, Mark, uh, the center of the circle, or we might call it the functional or psychological heart of a person would be the the seat of our motivation, the seat of our affection, the motivations we have, the values we live by. And as you alluded to, um, it's really our functional source of life. Mm-hmm. And that can be success if someone is really well adjusted and has a lot of a lot of good abilities, or it could be very dysfunctional. Um, the Bible really calls it our flesh, which would be our our ways of learned living independently of God. And so sometimes our flesh is very dysfunctional, sometimes it's relatively functional. Mm -hmm. But in our counseling and discipleship and and coaching, we help people um, seek the Lord's wisdom on what is my functional source of life? What are the coping mechanisms that I've learned to rely on? Uh, What values motivate me? Um, Have I been living with the baggage of rejection? Uh, Things like that. So we unpack different aspects of of this center of the circle because Proverbs 4:23 says guard your heart with all diligence from the heart flows the issues of life. Right. So when we identify what we've been living out of as our source and we realize that it's inadequate to have the abundant life, that sets the stage, doesn't it, Mark, for John 10:10. 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but our Lord said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I think as we move forward and as we really uh, next episode, dive into you know these three more. It, it really is important because, as I said, what is in the center of you is the lens by which you see things. And so, for example, when we start talking about troubles and trials and issues of life, when you're in the center, 
man, you're viewing everything through a tornado of emotion. I mean, you're viewing everything through worry or doubt. And that this is you're, you're bringing stress into this. You're bringing fear. Now you feel inferior or insecure. And so this is where when we talk about exchanging the exchanged life, this is what we're talking about. We're wanting you to exchange the center from your self-life to Christ's life. Why all the episodes that we've been talking about before are so important that you understand who you are in Christ so that you can realize, wait a minute, if I have the mind of Christ, if I have the peace of Christ and the strength of Christ, all of which Paul says we have in the book of Philippians, why then would I want to be in the center of my life trying to do things? This is why, as Oswald Chambers says, when my eyes are focused on the world, this is why I'm so anxious and depressed. If I want to lose anxiety and depression, I have to set my mind on things above. And we'll dive in more as we go. But I, I'm really excited uh, about this episode, and I hope it's been helpful. And I'm excited about next episode as we'll start diving into these uh, a little bit more. But anything else that jumps out at you uh, about the wheel diagram that we haven't mentioned so far? Well, in our previous conversations, we've talked about the importance of identity and some of us base our identity on our body. I remember someone I discipled in Montreal uh, was a champion bodybuilder when he was younger. So he had an identity based on his outward body. But then as an elderly man, and I saw him in his hospital bed as he went to be with the Lord, that identity had faded away. But as a born-again Christian, he had an identity that was victorious and positive, unchangeable and secure. And so our identity needs to be not in our body or our soul, but it really is a spiritual identity, isn't it, Mark? It is. It is. And I I think once we know who we are, then what we do flows out of that. Amen. Well, John, it's usually now that we have a glimpse of grace. And we were talking earlier today that we would like to share the glimpse of grace from Dr. Solomon. And uh, the reason I would love to do this is I think sometimes, John, people have this untrue belief that, you know, guys like me and you, because we're doing this podcast, have had like perfect lives all of our life. Like they don't really, you know, step back to think, you know, my story was I didn't become a Christian until I was 20 years old or your story of uh, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, later as we talk about assurance, where you really kind of struggled with that in some of your older teenage years. And so I'm sure they're probably thinking, oh, Dr. Solomon, he wrote the Handbook of Happiness. His life was perfect. He never had anything going wrong. But in fact, the Handbook of Happiness came out because his life wasn't going great. And um, and he was really looking for an answer. So share with us a little bit about Dr. Solomon's Glimpse of Grace. Great idea. Um, In his second book, The Ins and Out of Rejection, beginning of part two, he gives his spiritual journey testimony. And over the years, as I've heard him testify about this, uh, I've been inspired to just imagine uh, what it was like for him to come to know the Lord as a Savior at about age 17. But he mentioned being raised really at the beginning of the Great Depression, 1930, Mm -hmm. he was born. And his, his family were quite poor. Until he was eight, of age six, they didn't really have even indoor plumbing or, plumbing or electricity. So that conditioning of being less than was yeah. kind of laid down there. He had other factors he mentions in his testimony that led to a real chronic feeling of inferiority, feeling like he was not able to accomplish what he 
needed to accomplish. He managed to get good grades in school, but never felt that he was worthy or capable. Um, he marries uh, Sue Solomon when they were uh, in college at East Tennessee State University. Uh, he told her about his uh, inferiority complex, and she wouldn't hear of it. She loved him and wanted to see him through. But um, he did uh, go to uh, college to study mathematics, took a couple of engineering courses. When he graduated, the Korean War was going on. Um, in order to uh, look at an alternative from going to Korea, he needed to serve in a profession that was a vital industry, and he applied by mail as an engineering draftsman uh, and was hired by what later became Lockheed Martin. Mm -hmm. And he said that he applied for that job by mail because he was too shy to apply in person. So he he had this (laughs) um, chronic uh, anxiety and fear and uh, intimidation, and yet he uh, went to work. And um, before long, because of his God-given intelligence and skill, he was leading 5, 10, 15, 20 or more people uh, as their supervisor in their engineering work, doing things that he actually hadn't done himself. Wow. Um, really because of his intuitive um, nature and uh, learning as he went. But that really fed his insecurity. Well, he was about 27 and really struggling with mental and emotional health. And he he came to the end of his natural resources and realized he needed to fully surrender to God. And he did that the best he knew how at age 27. But that didn't give him relief from his chronic anxiety and, and depression and feelings of inferiority. Eventually, they moved to Denver, Colorado, as he continued to develop uh, with uh, the engineering industry, working on aircraft design. But the pressures of family, they had three children, financial stress um, led to the point where he he went on some pretty heavy-duty psychotropic medications. Yeah. And there came a point where even though he was a very dedicated believer, he became head deacon in his church. Maybe that added to some stress as well. Probably did. Um, uh, But there came a day in 1965, and he was 35 years of age, that he says in his memoirs that he he had severe pain in the back of his head, and uh, the the anxiety uh, started to bubble up where he could just barely drive home from work one day. Well, someone had given him a copy of Watchman Nee's book, The Normal Christian Life, and he had read it, but he didn't think that he could have that kind of breakthrough. Then someone lent him a book by Alan Redpath called Victorious Christian Living. And it's really a book about uh, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, but seeing how that book also illustrates how crossing the Jordan River is a picture of claiming your identification with Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, the Holy Spirit opened Chuck's eyes, and um, he had a breakthrough that was so dramatic that he was delivered from his uh, headache pain, uh, his inferiority, his depression, just in a wonderful breakthrough. He actually felt like God was in the room when he was filled with the Spirit. And he woke up his wife the next morning talking about his breakthrough. I think she thought, now he's really lost it. <laughs> but uh, in the years that followed, as he delved into the Word and devotional literature, he was able to articulate how that breakthrough uh, could be explained to others in what we call the wheel and line diagram and the yeah. exchange life counseling model. So, uh, yes, there was an ongoing process of him renewing his mind and seeing the Holy Spirit guide his emotions and, and heal him and then lead him from the engineering industry into starting Grace Fellowship International in 1970. But we give thanks for how God answered a prayer in Chuck's life and leading him to discover how Galatians 2.20 could be his personal testimony 
I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we Amen. give thanks to the Lord for Chuck's testimony, and hope it inspires all of us. I think it's amazing, and I believe this is true, right? Like He suffered with inferiority so much, withdrawn. They didn't let anybody come to their wedding, did they? Nope. That's crazy. I, wasn't it just like him, Sue, parents, and that was it? Just a handful. He was so shy. Wow. And then, I mean, and then he he goes on. Well, let me say this first before I say he goes on. When you mentioned that time in October of 1965, he's 35. And in fact, in the handbook, he mentions uh, about that pain and being in, on medication. And he even says, had I not been a Christian, suicide would have been the only option. So that's how low he was. So I just I want to say that because there might be somebody listening who thinks, well, his life wasn't as low as I am now. I mean, this Dr. Solomon was about as low as you could get. I mean, contemplating suicide on medication, and then this breakthrough happens, and then he goes worldwide. I mean, he goes from nobody can come to my wedding to speaking in front of thousands of people all over the world, Amen. and then and entrusting God. I mean, stories of, you know, when he went to South Africa one time, I think he left with like some CDs and $100 in his pocket and came back with, you know, still the $100 and had everything he needed while he was there. So I just want for all of you who are listening and you're thinking, man, you know, I'm struggling with inferiorities or insecurities, inadequacies, fear, worry, doubt. I can't sleep. I can't, you know, not sleep. I'm sleeping all the time. I'm overeating. Please reach out. Hello at gracefellowshipinternational.com and let John and I help you uh, find the same relief that Dr. Solomon had. Or for some of you that might be listening to us from uh, you know, a YouTube video that you watched with Aaron Kim, who was on episode number four uh, of the podcast, this is the same thing he went through to find victory. You found victory through it. I found victory through it. So it's so amazing and so privileged and honored for us to be able to do this. So as we close, just uh, a, a prayer request, I guess, I want to send out to everybody. Uh, I'm about to leave to go to Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, so I'm going to be there uh, doing a couple of uh, a private events, I guess, as you would say, but I'm going to be spending some time with some ministry leaders. I'm going to be spending some time at a church with some uh, church staff, as well as some small group leaders, and so it's going to be a great time, so please be praying uh, for me. And then, John, coming up at the end of the month, you are going to be in St. Louis. Is that right? Tell us a little bit about that, because that is a, an event that if people are near you, they can come to. I've always learned to uh, play croquet, and I hear that there's a big uh, hoop there at St. Louis. I thought I'd just see if I could knock that croquet Surely ball through that. Surely you can make it through that. I <laughs> uh, visited St. Louis many years ago and saw that famous arch, but we do have friends there that are hosting this seminar uh, in the St. Louis area. Uh, last Saturday in October. Please go to our website and check out the events page. Uh, We'd love for you to come. And also, Mark, we've got uh, the Exchange Life Counseling Workshop coming up in November. November the 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th here in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So if you want to learn how to use this diagram, that's the event to come to. So again, go to the website, sign up, come on out to Pigeon Forge. It's beautiful that time of year. So it's going to be cool. Might even have a little bit of snow, but it's going to be a great time. So Come and be a part. That'd be great. 
Thank you for listening to Glimpses of Grace. We pray today guided you into a more complete and victorious identity in Christ. If you would like more information about Grace Fellowship International, please visit us online at www.gracefellowshipinternational.com. If you would like to contact us, please send us an email, hello at gracefellowshipinternational.com. We hope you have a great day.